Jesus Church College. Join hosts Richard Tamburo and Molly Inman as they chat with other faculty and guests about church, the Bible, theology, and learning the way of Jesus here in Portland. This week we're going to look at Thomas's confession and the topic of worship. Hey everyone, welcome to the podcast. I'm Richard and I'm sat here with uh, Stan, who's making noises, but we can hear sometimes the mic don't pick up, but that is just quite funny. His computer beeped just as we started. <laughs> and the laughing John. There, that's me. That's, that's you. And that's what they call me. So we have been like riffing on some themes coming out of the end of the Gospel of John because we've been doing that in church. And we wanted to talk about worship today. And this is, uh, we don't really know all that we're going to talk about because there's a million things to talk about. So we'll see what comes out. But I do know where we're starting. And so, um, and this is, it's one of my favorite bits of scripture, actually. I can sort of imagine, you know, Jesus has risen and the disciples are a little bit perplexed, but excited. Like there's anticipation, but questions and Thomas is this dude who's like, nah, man, like, yeah. you've all been smoking something funny. Like, this, <laughs> that, I'm the, not sure about this. That's like, the Tamburo I'm going to take some convincing. And he's like, unless I really see for myself, I'm not in. And then Jesus comes to him. And it's really beautiful because Jesus comes to him and it, it's like Jesus knows what Thomas had said. So it's like, no one had to tell Jesus. Yeah. So Jesus goes to Thomas. It's like, hey, Thomas. Why don't you put your hands where yeah. the spear went, where the nails went? And it's like there's a sort of sassy version of the tone of voice of Jesus where Jesus is just like trying to give Thomas a big old slice of humble pie. <laughs> but I don't think that's what Jesus is doing. I think Jesus is trying to help Thomas understand that, like, I know you got questions. I see that and I've got answers. So it's this sort of profound connection where mm. Jesus reaches out to Thomas's inability to wrap his head around it, you know, his reticence about it, probably coming out of the trauma of having seen Jesus killed and thinking yeah. everything's fallen apart. Yeah. Like just everything about Thomas's fragility and Jesus reaches him where he's at and speaks to where he's at. And then with that kind of personal connection, Thomas just turns around and says, my Lord and my God. Yeah. And I just think that's... In that moment, with that relationship, with that interaction, it's like one of the purest, simplest expressions of worship in all of scripture. So as a worship leader, I used to love this when people would ask, like, where do you go like, to think about worship? I'm like, this is an anchor point for me. Yeah. And so because it's one of my favorites, Gospel of John, it's come up. Boom, there we are. Let's do a <laughs> podcast on it. So you're nodding away and smiling, Stan. Like, what has this verse got you thinking? Well, I don't think I've ever thought that deeply about it until you've, you know, just today as you've been talking, but even before the, the recording time, um, you've got me uh, really thinking. And one of the things I thought of was Thomas could have said, I always like to think about what, how could this have been different? Thomas could have said, oh, holy God of Israel, or something yeah. like that, or, or Messiah, or which would have been emphasizing Jesus' transcendence that he recognized as divinity, but it wasn't personal. Mm -hmm. 
Or he could have said, my good friend Jesus, which would have been personal, but it wouldn't have emphasized God's uh, Jesus' divinity. But he did both. He, he pointed to what's called the transcendence, you know, the, the, the lifting up, the elevating of Jesus as God, and the recognizing the imminence, the personal imminence, that Jesus was his Lord and yeah. his God. Yeah, That's those cool. two I mean, you words could, you could preach are sermons so on that. There, yeah. Right? yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that was really good. I that was like your, a deep I, intake I of breath. In, we both looked like no, anticipating something. I mean, you were just kind of patting Richard on the back there, like, "Yeah, great, good job." I wanted to know what the word reticence means. Reticent is that? Yeah, something? reticent. What, it's what like. That? It's like a hesitation to do something okay. or say Sound, something. Kind of sounds like it. I'm glad you brought that because people... Resitation. Yeah. Resident. House of learning. Reticent. Word of the day. Reticence. 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 Your challenge New this words. week is to use that word in conversation <laughs> Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, yes. Thursday, Friday. Yeah. New words with <laughs> Richard Tamara <laughs> here. It could be yeah. its own podcast. Maybe we um, should we well, should have word of the I, I have thought we should have snack of the day. Like that would make recording yeah. more fun uh, as well. But it's just audio. Then people just word listen of the day to chew. Yeah, yeah. But they could hear the sound. Yeah, that's weird. Yeah. Uh, in any case, I... <laughs> Uh, I love that. I love that worship. I mean, worship is something that is word and deed, right? It's yeah. confessing mm, with your good. mouth, believing in your heart, but it's also an overflow. The overflow of worship is a life transformed, you know, um, and, and a life that is filled with kindness, generosity. We should, as an act of worship, look more like Jesus after we encounter him, yeah. right? So yeah, this good. was just one part. Um, and I don't know if there's a lot of scripture that points to what Thomas did after, um, but we know that he confessed with his mouth, yeah. my Lord and my God. And that and was really beautiful after coming from changes. a place of doubt, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, and yeah, because we don't know the details, but we know he's a part of a posse that yeah. then are accused goes of turning and, the world upside yeah, down. Yeah, goes and does yeah. Good, good stuff in yeah. the name yeah. of Jesus. Yeah. Um, and obviously are probably you know, filled with the Spirit um, when Jesus sends the Spirit, when God sends his Spirit later on. Anyways, um, but... <laughs> uh, I'm, I'm, the thing that strikes me with the Thomas thing is always um, that he was, you know, he, he kind of gets this bad rap for being the doubter and being the one that had trouble believing all this stuff. And I think a lot of, there's a lot of people that can relate to that Thomas-like personality or that, that and almost, almost prideful, like almost seeing doubt and unbelief as a badge of honor, like a, I'm smarter than this. I'm, yeah. I'm not going to believe this because I'm bigger and I'm smarter. And it's almost unfair that he got, like I think about someone who is in a period of doubting, unfair that Thomas got to be like, well, you actually saw Jesus. You saw the spear in his side. You saw the the nails, nail marks in his hands. It's like, well, well, I'd love to see that, you know, like, so that I wouldn't have to struggle with doubt. Yeah. In my own personal story, I would love to have that actual physical. And, I, and I, of course we have the Holy Spirit, but it's almost like Thomas got off easy, you know? Like yeah. he got a chance to like see it and then believe. And I, I get that for him, for him, for his personality, Jesus met him where he needed to meet him. Yeah, and That's the beauty of the story. Not everybody needed to. And Jesus yeah. obviously and Jesus famously says... That. You know, blessed are those who have not seen, who have not seen it yet, and yet believe. That's amazing. Next line. Yeah, totally. And and I get that. It's almost. It's just a funny thing for Thomas. He needed that physical. He needed that very visual, um, real, tangible representation or or a knowledge of yes, you are the Messiah. You were raised from the dead, and you are God. You know. Yeah. 
for him to get there, it took seeing Jesus in the flesh. Yeah. And that's that sort of, you know, I mean, the, I, like think about that verse, like God inhabits the praises of his people. So sometimes people approach that as like, oh, so when we get together and praise God, that's a way of actually creating space where we can encounter God. Mm. But actually, Thomas wasn't expecting to encounter yes, Jesus. Right. It was the encounter with Jesus that provoked the worship. Yeah. And I, I think it can go mm -hmm. both ways. But there's just it shows how those two do interact, though, encounter and worship. Um, mm. Yeah, we don't. I mean, this is a hard one because it can feel our experience can be like I'm praying to, I'm worshiping a God who feels a million miles away sometimes. Yes. But worship is rooted in intimacy. Yeah. So it either flows out of it or it draws us towards it. Like if we worship, we will grow in our intimacy. Well, and it's worship is rooted in a, it's a, in a simplest form. It's a dialogue with God and God always initiates it. So if you, that's one way to think about it is he initiates through his word or through revelation and we respond. Mm. He initiates, we respond back and forth, back and forth. And so in, in the case of Thomas, the initiation was Jesus revealing himself, again, God revealing himself in the flesh in a very specific way that met Thomas, as you point out so well, Richard, that it met Thomas at his real point of need. And in this case, he needed to see and, and maybe even touch um, Jesus and and then his response was worship. So that's a great thing to remember. Whether it's you're by yourself and you're out in the woods with your Bible, or you're in corporate worship, but worship isn't. We don't have to beg God to show up. Mm -hmm. He desires intimacy with us, and he but he does it in a very specific way. He he reveals himself in very specific ways, and then we respond. There were a couple ways that Israel got worship wrong in the Old Testament. They were either worshiping the wrong gods, idolatry, or they were worshiping the right god. They were worshiping Yahweh, but they were doing it in their own kind of self-styled ways. They weren't mm. following the law. And God condemned both practices because worship, true worship is always in spirit and in truth. It's the truth of God's revelation that, re that causes us to respond obediently, um, with reverence, whatever, you know. So that that's yeah. something to remember too. Yeah, that's an interesting one in truth. Like, well, spirit and truth. Because the, the spirits, I mean, the spirit's got a few jobs, but one that scripture highlights, and especially the gospel of John highlights, yes. is the role of the spirit in revealing truth. In revealing truth. truth, yes. And not just revealing it, but transforming us yep. into yep. that image of Jesus as the representation of true yep. humanness or yep. mission. Um. So yeah, so this, I don't know, sometimes people read that verse and like, oh yeah, in the spirit. So it's just supposed to be charismatic. Or, right. Which, great. But yeah, it's pointing at something. Yeah, I think it's more a, about A little the... bit more that, you know, as we look to God in reverence, in awe, in... I don't know, like there's e there's a sense in which we're responding to what he's revealed, but also yearning for revelation, yeah. yearning for more, yeah, yearning yeah. for hope, for to, to have our faith stirred. And, and in that place, there's an alignment happening where if we're kind of taking the Lord's name in vain, where we're coming and saying, Jesus, you're the best, but we just lived as jerks all week, yeah, yeah. then it's, it's not worship in truth. So there's a misalignment. Yeah. 
But the alignment goes both ways, that as we worship, if God's really revealing himself and if we're encountering that and the Spirit loves to reveal truth, then we should walk away from worship also challenged yeah. or transformed or like this this power in this moment of exchange where like that's what I love at like my Lord and my God. It's mm. like Thomas had questions, had angst, had had all this stuff, but the purity of that moment is he was completely open handed to Jesus. Mm-hmm. He I mean he had an encounter with the living God with Jesus and his response is beautiful, like the yeah. my Lord and my God. I, I think so often about our experience of modern worship or worship through singing, music, whatever. The uh, maybe the, <clears throat> the the show of religion sometimes we've we've made it into, or the medium has become the message. You know, where we're more impressed by how well we do something when we're trying to point to Jesus than just pointing to Jesus. Mm-hmm. And I think, like I think about someone like Thomas, and um, that encounter must have transformed his life. You know, like he must have been like all in from that point on, <laughs> yeah. because he had an encounter you know, with the the living God. It's like, man, I hope that's what we're going for. Like when we're leading, I yeah. hope that's what the whole reason we're doing church, the whole reason we're gathering and putting a bunch of people in the room, um, you know, like it's a constant discipline to remind ourselves like, hey, this is all about Jesus. And like, yeah, I'm not just a professional Christian that works here and gets a paycheck and has to preach the gospel and sing these happy songs. Like, I'm here for one reason, and that is for people to encounter Jesus, to be filled with the Holy Spirit and to be transformed, you know, by the renewing of their minds and to actually know and experience his presence so much more than just, um, you know, missing the point. You mentioned idolatry. I think about, I think a lot of our, a lot of the things we do surrounding the trappings of religion, the, the institution maybe, you know, that has been wrapped itself around what is meant to be a relationship with Jesus sometimes Mm -hmm. muddies those waters and we end up worshiping something other than Jesus or just making a lot of noise and missing that intimate connection, that one-on-one moment where Jesus, you know, says, feel the (laughs) spear in my side and the the scars in my hands. Anyways. One of my favorite stories of that is, um, the soul survivor sort of youth movement in the UK, Matt Redman, mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. that song, When the Music Fades. Mm-hmm. When the music fades, all Heart of worship. away. Yeah. Oh, so we got Richard singing again. Yeah. <laughs> but, but that came out of a time when they were sensing that it was becoming more about the music than yeah. Jesus. Yeah. And so the church being a youth movement and radical and, you know, they just sacked all the worship team. Yeah. And they were like, okay, so we're going to stand in church and you know, I think it was Mike, that's an Mike English term. Sacked is an English term meaning yes. fired, what, fired, got rid of, got rid removed. Of. Not, Just not to clarify, actually, lie, like either tied in a sack or beaten with a sack <laughs> for <of> potatoes. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. But then, then, like Matt, Matt has described, like yeah, it was super awkward. We stood in church and were invited, like, hey, let's just call out praise to God. And they had weeks of like mega awkwardness. But like they grew in their understanding sure. of worship, and yeah. then that song then was the reintroduction of like what they'd learned yeah. in that season. You know, and that's a great reminder that um, so much of wrong thinking about specifically corporate worship, and sometimes even worship pastors. I was a worship pastor for twenty years. I know the danger 
is expectations. You know, you for example, you can have a, a, just an amazing Sunday morning one week, right? And just there's just a, a palpable sensation that God showed up and people were transformed. Yeah. Monday morning comes, what's your temptation as you're getting ready for the next Sunday? Is to try to recapture that, right? It's a temptation that keep worship has, keep the do we gotta, job, man. We gotta do that again. Well, the spirit might have a different plan next week. It might be lament the next week. It might be yeah. a calling to repentance. We don't know how to do that. And if uh, it's true, and if, if I stand in the way of the spirit by saying, "Oh, I got to get back that high that we had yesterday," um, I am now worshiping worship. Yeah, and I think that's like you mentioned word and deed, John, which I love because I, I think I see in my Lord of Thomas is my Lord is like you're my rabbi, you're my mission, you're mm-hmm. my vision. Like that makes me think of like, be thou my vision, mm-hmm. you know, be my, be thou my vision, O Lord of my heart, naught be all else to me. Say that, that thou art. Can you sing that for us, Richard? I Just can't. kidding. It's done. Yeah. Don't. It's fine. We'll, we'll always, we'll <laughs> okay. like a male Welsh voice choir. There we'll you go. The okay, there, you go. there you go. But, um, but there's, yeah, it, if we sing songs and God graciously meets with us and reveals himself and comforts us and energizes us it's for a purpose and that purpose was not to feel energized right it might happen yeah it might happen it might be a byproduct but that's not the purpose it's not the purpose and i think i'm just aware i don't mean i've done it sure but i'm aware lots of christians we we actually treat sung corporate worship on a Sunday morning as a form of escapism from our week. Or a booster shot to get through the next week. Yeah. yeah. Ra- rather than yeah, like but, home base from which we yeah. feel challenged and called to go yeah. live the next week differently. Sure. Corporate worship's a bit like a, a birthday party for some young children. And if you've ever tried to have a birthday party for a three-year-old or four-year-old, and you had chaos. other, yeah, chaos first of all, and you had other three or four-year-olds with along, one of the outcomes often is the guests end in tears because they didn't get presents. They didn't get presents, and yeah. it wasn't about them. And so t- make sure everyone wins a prize. Everybody gets, you know, everybody gets a little <laughs> bag of treats going out the door. Well, you know, uh, worship. You might get a bag of treats going out the door. You might have that some kind of encounter, a, a palpable sense of encounter with God, but it, it might be different, you know? And, yeah. but, the, but, we're, but the party isn't about you, it's about God. And I think that's, a, that's always been a helpful metaphor for me, thinking when I'm preparing myself. Often I'm driving to a gathering on Sunday and I'm thinking, okay, I'm not going to get. I might get, but I'm not going to get. Yeah. I'm going to give. A party, this party's for Jesus. Let me ask you too, like the flip side of that question away then. Like, what are some metrics of success worship then so because mm. I, I we might feel like oh man that was flat like i didn't feel that mm. today because i didn't feel exhilarated or close to jesus or blessed yeah. or, you know whatever words you want to use like what then are the true metrics of for us i either as a leader or just sat in the congregation where we walk away from that sunday morning feeling like that was i did the right i worshiped basically i mean i think it's harder than ever to sort of gauge those metrics just because of churches and the size that they become. I, and, and this isn't me idealizing a certain number, but there is something about, I visited a lot of churches in my day. I've traveled a lot and there's this magic number. I would say like two, 300 people mm-hmm. where I sing on a Sunday morning and then they're like, we're all having a potluck after, you know, and it feels like a family and they're all helping each other and mm-hmm. they're, and they're all growing together in this sense of community. 
But anyways, um, all that to say, it, it is, I think it's a hard thing to gauge. But uh, ultimately, what we're looking for, the, the fruit of genuine, authentic encounter and worship of God is a life transformed. Mm-hmm, it's, mm-hmm. it's people that act and serve and love yep. more like Jesus. So it's over time, really. It's yeah, not, and it yeah. doesn't mean they're sinless yeah, saints. So it's not, it's it's not a not, mountaintop. All of a sudden it's different. Yeah, it's but, a journey of transformation. But isn't it meant to be something that's like, <clears throat> yeah, it's like a, it's like a shot of adrenaline almost. And, and that's not a bad thing. We can point to the emotional mm-hmm. aspect of music and singing together and we can demonize the emotionalism that can come out of that. But emotions are beautiful. God uses emotions to stir up what Absolutely. like things that we need to feel, yep. whether it's sin or whether it's something he's calling us into and building a passion in our heart for, whether yep. it's missions or whether it's our neighbor, our coworker, somebody that... Um, we know has needs both spiritual and physical. Um, I think I quote this verse every time I do a podcast and they probably did last time we did this, Richard, but Hebrews 13, <laughs> 15 through Jesus. Therefore let us continually offer to God a sacrifice of praise, the fruit of lips that openly profess his name. So sort of think of that Thomas thing, mm-hmm. my Lord and my God, and do not forget to do good and to share with others for with such sacrifices, God is pleased. So it's again, Again, word and deed. Yeah. What, what do I look at as the metrics of success for worship and singing? I don't know. I'm not sure exactly. But if I think of people's overall experience of worship and discipleship, discipleship to Jesus, the metric of success is, man, they're becoming more filled with kindness. They're being more mm-hmm. generous. Mm-hmm. They are more passionate about seeing the kingdom of God come. You know, yeah. and like I, I see it even as I have volunteers that start when they're 18 years old and they're 22 and they've become more mature, faith filled people, no matter what they're doing. Um, they are, you know, acting with more of that Holy Spirit authority and power, but also humility and love. Yeah, so, I love that. Again, these are just such big, vague. It's, it'd be great to have like a, a, a testimony, a story right now. And I don't have one that's coming to mind, but because it's often so gradual it's not these massive mountaintop god spoke to me and everything changed forever my life was perfect that's not it like the you know jesus promises us suffering take up your cross and follow me in this world you'll have trouble but fear not i've overcome the world you know the promise is that his spirit is going to walk with us and that we won't get sidelined by those things and we'll become it's almost like we the more we encounter the spirit of god the more we get thicker skin not in an emotional sense where we're disconnected from empathy but more like we're able to withstand suffering and disappointment because we know this earth is not our home but also we're meant to bring heaven to earth in little ways a little bit of light a little bit of goodness where there is hatred and division you see it in the world right now i'm going on a rant now guys um go for um, it you see it in the world all around us people are filled with fear and worry and disillusionment and doubting everything and have nothing to anchor them. It's like, what's supposed to be different about being a Christian and being a follower of Jesus? It's supposed to be that we have a solid rock, a sure foundation, an anchor that holds us no matter what, no matter what waves are tossing us, no matter what life throws at us, we have a hope in eternity. And that is where especially now the church needs to rise up. The church needs to be a place where people find impossible hope like yep. what yep. what do you mean yep. why are you guys 
well, how can you be happy with everything that's going on? Because our hope is not in our circumstances. That's why. Anyway, so the more I see people that have become more like that, have become more passionate followers of Jesus because they've encountered him and because they know what it's like to listen and hear his voice, that's the metric for me. And that's like Peter says, like trials develop us. So we're going through a season where lots of things that feed us in this world have been turned down. And those yes. are times when we both yes. learn, oh, man shall not live, live by bread alone. Like we learn to reach for God and encounter yeah. that. But there are also times this sort of, uh, did you say resilience? or I can't remember, but like the, the thing you were talking about of like, yeah, but we have this power within us then that enables us to walk forward in those seasons. And that's, that's interesting because I remember as a new Christian, like just the the enthralling kind of excitement of first getting to know Jesus mm-hmm. and then starting to encounter worship where I wasn't continually being excited by a new thing. I was actually, uh, I don't know, trying to weigh the value of, of things I already had. Yeah. You know, yeah. I wasn't discovering, I was enjoying. Yeah. It's like I wasn't out shopping for new stuff. It was time to like actually cook something with it. Yeah. And and that was really confusing for me because it felt like God was withdrawing or I was failing or something like that. You know, when in in and it wasn't even a trial, but it felt like a trial. But but actually it was I think God like pointing at that that inner thing within that enables us to be resilient. Not like feelings don't matter and circumstances don't matter, but like to discover that inner core, Mm. which is going to bring stability through all these other things that can be good, bad, and ugly along the way. And tethering us to like that. That's a good word, tethering. You know what I mean? Like keeping keeping us grounded and connected to like the truth of scripture and the freedom that has been... Um, decided and won by yeah. Jesus for us. That doesn't mean, again, it doesn't mean we don't grieve and we don't feel things. We don't have yep. mountains and we don't have valleys and we don't have doubts. It means that beneath all those at, at our core, like unless we're denying it completely, which I've seen happen too, um, we know that God has spoken to us and has led yeah. us and is always with us anyway. Which um, if, if, if a corporate worship experience on Sunday is going to, last us through the week is in a sense is going to impact us transform us over long periods of time the music with its words needs to be truth right it needs mm, to yeah. be grounded in god's word word that's what so we're talking about theology um that's what people remember people might forget the sermon but they remember the songs yeah. so you you know a worship leader worship, worship pastor is a an awesome responsibility to to curate a body of repertoire for that congregation that reflects a lot of a full range of who God is and our relationship with him and with each other because there is a, a horizontal as well as vertical relationship. Yeah. I love John you brought up the community idea. You know, I think you're right. 250, 300 people. You not too big that you don't know most people pretty well. And one of the things that's beautiful about that is that that just is evidence that Worship is also horizontal. Speak to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. That's the horizontal. 
uh, singing with thankfulness to God. That's the vertical. Yeah. It's not one or the other. It's both yeah. and. Because God has called us to a family, to a body, that we're supposed to grow, yes, individually, but grow corporately to the full maturity of Christ. And singing worship songs on Sunday morning that are grounded in God's word is one of those ways because people remember that it sticks with them. And that becomes their theology for living well. Yeah, and even I think for a lot of people, there certainly is an overemphasis and an over emotionalization is that a word is that a word um of overemphasis on worship and the power of it for sure because obviously that can get in the way of true discipleship and a deep yeah. connection to even the word to scripture yeah to community but there is something really beautiful about it for sure yeah, yeah. and i i don't know that there's an overemphasis on worship maybe it's um a misguided emphasis at times, because if anything, we should be a worshiping church and in, in, in song and in speaking to one another, and and done well. That can that can be a powerful part of spiritual formation in mm-hmm. people's lives, because music does speak to us at a heart level. It it breaks down barriers. It it helps us. It, it speaks emotionally, which opens up the intellect. We're not just right. we're not just intellectual beings that God sent some bullet points to, and this yeah. is truth about me. In fact, you think about how much of the Bible is in poetry. Well, why did God say the Lord is my shepherd? That's kind of a poetic metaphor. He could yeah. have just said, hey, guys, I'm going to lead you really well. Yeah. There's something about a poetic metaphor that grabs our attention, that elicits an emotional response that inspires us to change and to to take action to do yeah, yeah. something i got i got a quote given what you both just said so okay. this is uh james smith from you are what you love yeah that's a great oh, book. That book great book yeah. he said get it go buy it right now the practices of christian worship train our love they are the practice for the coming kingdom habituating us as citizens of the kingdom of god christian worship we should recognize is essentially a counterformation to those rival liturgies we are often immersed in. Cultural practices that covertly capture our loves and longings, miscalibrating them, orienting them to rival versions of the good life. This is why worship is at the heart of discipleship. We can't counter the power of cultural liturgies with didactic information poured mm. into our intellects. Yeah. We can't recalibrate the heart from the top down through merely informational measures. The orientation of the heart happens from the bottom up through the formation of our habits of desire. Learning to love God takes practice. That's good. Mm. Yeah, that's good. But it is. But it, the, the interesting thing is there's a sort of formation thing of the habit, the practice, the intentionality of worship but I think what enriches that quote is the realization that in our cultural moment where we love storytelling, people are, they care about emotional awareness and emotional maturity and emotional health to have a language. And it's not just music. It can be art more broadly. Sure. You mentioned poetry as well. Yeah. But it, it's almost like the the difference between something that's, like full of truth and potential and something that's sacramental, like Mm. actually presents God to us. Mm -hmm. You know, like you can have a Bible in a church, but when it's preached, someone is trying to 
do some spirit-filled interaction with you where they push it into your soul. Yeah, yeah. And like, and worship, and actually worship leading and probably songwriting, there's a similar sort of sacramental, like we're not just singing nice things, but we're kind of responding to what God's doing, trying to wrap our mind, our heart, our head, our awareness around what God's doing, but trying to carry that awareness out to others and invite them into it. And so it's it's a very sort of similar sort of sacramental thing. And and lots of art can be very sacramental in that sort of it's the difference between the information and the encounter with where that information is supposed to take you. Yeah. The the man who wrote um O Little Town of Bethlehem, uh Phillips Brooks, nineteenth century pastor and theologian, he once said, Preaching is truth personified. In other words, a lot, I think a lot of times we evangelicals think Ooh, that's nice. preaching is that's just uh, just information. It's just information. <laughs> just give me the yeah. information. Let me fill up my my notebook on Sunday morning. It's just another TED talk. Yeah, it's a TED talk. And he said, "No, good preaching is truth personified. It is embodied. Why is that? Because we're embodied creatures. That's why God spoke to us in poetry and in other art forms, and why it's okay. I think, especially my generation, we're a little uncomfortable with art." and some other things, it's, it just feels a little, I don't know, it, not didactic enough or something. Yeah, we, we want to make sure we're accurate, right? We want to be accurate we, about the Bible. Fundamentalists yeah. and evangelicals have this concern for accuracy. Yeah, yeah. And that kind of reflects in like, oh yeah, I want to sing hymns only. Yeah. Like, you yeah. know, singing, woo, woo. Yeah, it's like, yeah. why are we singing you? What's that communicate? Yeah, it's yeah. like, well... It what might does be that different for different John? people. Does... It might, you know. I don't like... write any songs with that. <laughs> <laughs> no, you're right. Uh, but, but, I, I... but there's a tension between space to make it our own yeah. and guidance into like the destination we're aiming at in yeah. art, right? Yes. Um, <laughs> I was just thinking, I remember years and years ago when I was leading worship gatherings, uh, there were a certain number, small number of people who would sit out in the lobby and wait until the music was over and then come in for the message. That was what church was for. Now and we've I, got it the other way around. That's <laughs> probably true. <laughs> Just love people with their arms crossed in church. How come this church isn't serving my needs exactly the way I want them? That's what church is supposed to be. Remember and they the, talk like a 1920s paper boy, apparently. Rem- remember the toddler party I was mentioning? <laughs> yeah, the toddler party. Yeah. But there's so yeah, totally. So much power. Where's the goodie bag? Come on, where are my presents? Sorry, I gotta stop that weird voice. Continue. I, well, or you should have done it the whole time. The yeah, whole podcast. Just, <laughs> anyways, worship. See, uh, yeah. John, you've been breathing the helium again. You shouldn't do that. Yeah, where's uh, what's in this uh, balloon but you, here? Stat, you and I the other day we were having a chat about um, the ability of music because we were talking about like a musical setting of the Magnificat yeah. that we both love which yeah. maybe I'll put a link in the notes um, yeah. by Arvo Part yeah. um, but the Magnific- Magnificat is Mary's song of praise and right. thanksgiving when the angel comes to her right. but the music has a way of situating me in her experience and like drawing me into wrestling with the truth that's on the page of yeah. the words of scripture yeah um it it both draws me in but it's also evocative it asks me questions like yeah. it presents it to me but yeah. it's it, it's and and there's a sort of there's something about that way that art interacts with us and the way jesus well, actually not just jesus but the rabbinical method of teaching that is 
much less I'm going to tell you exactly how to think about this and much more I'm going to evoke the right questions yeah. and be your guide. Yeah. And so like music has this kind of superpower to 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 affect us in a more holistic way. And you can study, read a book, think about it, pray about like Sure. You can go and those are good disciplines to be using. But I and I I I would say it's like it's something of this cultural moment. I think the fact that our culture loves using music right now mm-hmm. is is a great opportunity. But I think across cultures, music has been this way and art has been this way across human cultures throughout history. Oh yeah. So it's not just a music's cool in Portland thing. Like I think God designed us and designed this universe that we would I know reach out with I don't know I I guess when we reach out with just our intellect it's a very guarded way to worship yeah yeah I think so music is uh, unique in the in the arts um, in terms of our uh, its ability to connect us to truth and revelation and respond to it and I think that's why you don't read a psalm that says act a scene in a play to the glory of God or um, paint a painting to the glory of God. It's sing, sing to the, sing to the mel- yeah, so, sing to the Lord. Um, not that those that those forms of artwork are not important. I love all of them. I teach about all of them. Um, but music is uh, two things. I think it's time based for one thing. You you look at a painting, you can glance at it and walk away. But you're gonna you have to experience. So you, in a sense, are are serving or subservient to the music for the period of time that it's being performed yeah. or that you're part of it. You have to to pay attention to it, and it is now dictating to you yeah. in a sense. And then it's music hits us um, viscerally and embodies it. literally physical sound waves are going not just in our ears, but they're going through our entire body. Yeah. And that's it's why so when you're experiential. Oh yeah, that's why you, yeah. if you're at a rock concert and and they've got the those enormous woofers going, yeah. you can literally feel the bass frequencies yeah. because they it is a physical force. And so that's why you want to start dancing or or you see here I'm talking about toddlers again because I'm a grandfather and you watch a 2-year-old and you turn some music up that's got a beat and it'll can't, just start tomp, stomping its feet. It. Can't help yeah, it. It'll start it. dancing. I mean, maybe that's why it says not remembering melodies in your heart to the Lord, but making melody. Making melody, yeah. Like, yeah, constantly. Well, yeah. There's there's both and. There's the being, again, tethered to like the history of the church, the expression of worship throughout history, but then also singing new songs commanded constantly yeah. through Scripture. Too. Yeah. And the new songs elevated. I'm so like... Isn't it? I think I, the thing as I, as I get older and most moved by is authentic honest worship and that can often be through pop songs like interesting hearing you guys talk about well just classical music like uh it it can move you so without without a word without you know like a melody and a massive orchestra just like capturing emotion and making you feel it so it's like what is this how is this why do my feet this makes me feel if you ever listen to soundtracks like if you imagine watching movies without Yes. Music. Try it sometime. It's um, really interesting. So again, it's a medium to like bypass the chaotic, um, <laughs> our intellects maybe even sometimes. Not intellect as a bad thing, but like as something that it distracts us from the simplicity 
of an encounter with Jesus or the simplicity of the gospel, you know, yeah. like, cause we can think our way past it a million ways. And I think the times that it's made the most sense to me are in times of singing where the spirit just sort of just bypasses all that. And I'm caught up in the emotion of the music and I'm awakened or become aware of not just the depravity in my soul, but the love of God, you know, both those things at the same time. Yeah. It's like repentant, but also, Exultant, you know. There's obviously different acts, aspects of worship. Um, to tie onto that too, I, I'm very moved by mainstream pop songs. There was this song a few years ago by Sam Smith. Um, this British. I, guy. Yeah, I know who you're talking about. Yeah, is this yeah. song called "Stay with Me"? It's "Stay with Me," cause you're all I need. This ain't love. I'm not gonna sing it. This ain't love. It's clear to see. But won't you stay with me? It's about a one night yeah. stand. It's it's just yeah, like all the best songs are about terrible things. Yeah, it's it's about a one night it's about a one night stand. This ain't love is clear to see, but won't you stay with me? And there's I like lost it, like weeping, listening to this song because there was something about this ache, and yes, acknowledging his his depravity, I guess, or like, but just his deep need to be loved, and trying to fill it, and knowing that this wouldn't satisfy him, but just like just. For now, I just I, I need to be loved, and I don't know what else to do. Acknowledging that need was so moving to me. Yeah. Just like, uh, and it was this beautiful, ache-filled, passionate song, and it was just something about it reminded me, stirred something in me that was like, oh, I know what that is. I know how that feels, and I know not what it's like to have a one-night stand, obviously, but I know what it's like to just need the love of God and have, have it only feeling. filled by Him. Yeah. Um, and, and so when I when I'm when that is captured in my heart, anywhere, um, I know I have context for it. I turn it back to God. You know, like I'm moved by the love of God in that moment, even though that wasn't the purpose of the song. Yeah. That medium, that emotional expression of music, stirred me to wonder and and honestly to to just like be able to. <laughs> have to face that ache in my own soul and fill it again with the right things, you yeah. know, instead of the wrong things. And in our culture, like, we're recovering a little bit from a sort of enlightenment hangover where we emphasize, like, have the right knowledge, make the right decisions, perform the right actions, yep. but feel the right feelings and desire the right things. Uh, I mean, Ruth Haley Barton writes about this wonderfully in her book, uh, Sacred Rhythms, about how so many of our souls, we, we don't know how to listen to. We don't know what we really want. We don't know the song our soul wants to sing. And, and maybe there's actually a stronger need in our generation for music to be a key that unlocks that awareness. Because I think when God encounters us, he can encounter us walking along a road looking at a stone like it can be anywhere oh, anytime sure. right yeah but in in corporate worship together when he's trying to align us together in a sacred moment in a sacred space like god's interested in not just giving us some more knowledge or some more decisions or some more actions right but he's actually interested in doing a like a holistic healing of putting us back together he doesn't just want to tune in our intellect or our knowledge like he wants to hold out the knowledge and wrap our heart around it yeah. and situate it in our soul and join it with his spirit in our innermost being and so connect weird. it with his mission and and like and there's something about worship as a space where god can, 
can interact with us in a more holistic way maybe yeah and isn't it isn't it like isn't corporate worship such a incredible pushback against the radical individualism that yeah. you know yeah. has been perpetuated in our culture over the last whatever 50 years and all the more now people are isolated and lonely and trying to find community and meaning on a digital device rather than you know with groups of people and yeah. we've almost been forced even during covid sure into that even even more that's good there's just something so beautiful about gathering with others and with one voice agreeing in unity like there's just nothing yeah there's that just unity nothing like thing. it so I'm just going to mention, like, we did a conference as the staff. It was an online thing. And HTB had put together a worship song with people during COVID. It's a masterpiece of logistics, never mind music, but from all around the world. And it's kind of cheesy. But there's something so powerful about the unity of, like, wow, look exactly. at the breadth totally. of people we align yeah. with. I'll see if I can. I'll, I'll put the uh, link to it in the notes. Okay. It's, it's really cool. Circling back to what you talked about um, with realigning corporately and all. I was thinking, and, and that it, God's not just interested in getting to our intellects. When you think about it, we, we like to think we're rational creatures and that all the decisions we make are intellectual or rational. They really aren't. We make des- decisions based on desire and value. You know, when, when you think about, if you really think about the decisions you've made today, they've probably been driven by desire. Yeah. And, and so informed by the intellect, but really pushed by desire. The things that you value the most are the things you desire the most. And so music, well expressed with truth, can can help us realign our desires. Yeah. I was talking to someone about this earlier today. It's like, because duty, sometimes we make decisions out of duty. Yeah. Duty is really for powerful for showing us when we're doing something that's wrong. Mm. But it doesn't sustain us. No. Desire is what sustains our, that's our actions, our ways of thinking, our yeah, all of that's these good. other things. Um, yeah, and we need, I mean, it's kind of a, in a way, a Sunday morning is like one of those cities of refuge. Yeah. Like a battered and bruised by a week, yeah. you know, encountering warfare, the kingdom of darkness, victory in good things, but also you know, haven't let your flesh out of the box a little too often and, you know, yeah. and to, to be invited to somewhere that's before the throne of grace to find that sort of help in time of need. And, um, and yeah, it, it's not, it's like there's a holiness to that space of worship, but it's, it's, it's interesting to me how often the enemy tries to make us feel like, oh, I can't really join in today. Yeah. When actually you're joining in today, it's the thing that's going to heal you and bring Absolutely. freedom to you again. Yeah, there is something that happens, obviously, in the spirit realm. When when we confess with our mouth and believe in our hearts that Jesus Christ is Lord, like that his kindness leads us to repentance. You think about the church like a hospital rather than a whatever, a place where people come that are healthy. It's like we're coming to church every week to yeah. be... In, encounter God together in community with people, confess our sins to one another and, yeah. you know, and be healed and be um, restored, I guess. And, and I think worship and music, at least the music part of it and, and the whole expression of, of what we do on a, maybe on a Sunday or what we do in community is we dig into the word, we learn together, we're reminded of what we know, but we also learn something new. Um, 
we're tethered to the scripture and we sing songs that remind us yeah. of mm-hmm. why we once believed. It's um, a lot of reminding. Yeah, a lot of reminding. After a lot hearing of, like, a, lot a lot of other messages. But then the also the creating a, a, an atmosphere where um, we're able to hear from God. Yeah. Um, and, and removing distraction. I think as a, as a big thing too, yeah. we, you know, people come into this, the building often on Sundays and I feel like my first job is just be like, everybody exhale. Yeah. Like, you know, we're all carrying stuff. Mm-hmm. Like let's, let's just take a second and allow God to actually, actually speak to us and actually, um, be reminded of, um, all the things we know are true. And then be able to, um, repent of our sin and be refined. So, I don't know. In, in, uh, you know, in the large churches in, in, um, you know, some of the larger churches in Europe and everything, they, the, the central area where everybody's seated or standing is called a nave. And nave is from a Latin word meaning ship. The idea was, was just what we've been talking about. It's a, it's a safe place to be against the storms that are external to us, that yeah. are coming at us. In fact, some, some think it may have been an, a bit of an allusion to even Noah's Ark. And you came into this building, kind of almost like a sacred space. Uh, sometimes in the Middle Ages, it may have literally been a safe place if there was war going on outside yeah, or something. Yeah. But um, I think we're talking about that, that we come in to sort of join arms, link arms, be reminded of our mission, be reminded of who's our captain, and to, you know, to um, as an antidote against the storms we all encounter in our life, it's it is a it is a safe place. In yeah, a way, and know? not just be reminded. It's like reminded who is our captain, and have the experience of like, oh, captain on deck yeah. is here. Yeah, as well. Yeah. Well, we're out of time. So loads of good thoughts. Loads more we could talk about. But I hope that's been useful if you're listening and has made you want to go worship. And then that's a win. We'll catch you next time. Goodbye. Bye. Goodbye. Thanks for listening to this episode of the House of Learning podcast. This podcast is produced by A Jesus Church College, based at Westside at Jesus Church in Portland, Oregon. AJC College trains and mobilizes the next generation of kingdom leaders through an accredited four-year degree in biblical studies with an emphasis on leadership and formation. We combine classroom learning with mentoring and ministry apprenticeship for a third of the cost of traditional college. To find out more, go to ajccollege.org or follow us on Instagram to find out if this is where God could be calling you to explore your calling. If you've enjoyed this episode, please leave us a review, subscribe, and share it with someone. And if you have a question you'd like us to chat about, please let us know. You can email us at podcast at ajccollege.org. If you can, send us a 20-second audio recording saying who you are and where you're from, along with your question, and we'd love to include it in a future episode.